I was born in April of 1960 at the Besboro Mother and Baby Institution in Cork. Years after she was put up for adoption and brought to America, Mary Steed sought answers about her past. She wrote to the Sacred Heart Order, asking for records. I was sent, actually, a full copy of my handwritten medical records. And in that, there were notations which at the time I didn't understand, you know, (laughs) didn't mean anything to me other than, oh, okay, I got, you know, some vaccines there. Mary learned that Irish authorities were investigating vaccine trials carried out on children in mother and baby homes, trials that were conducted by companies now a part of pharmaceutical giant GlaxoSmithKline. I did get confirmation back at that time from GlaxoSmith that I had been part of the 4-in-1 trial that had been conducted at Besborough. How did it make you feel? Well, I, frankly, I was shocked. I mean, I... You know, it just sounded like something right out of Mengele's playbook. How do you do this to a vulnerable group of children? In what universe does this seem right? What did your birth mother say? She never knew. Um, She said, you know, they would tell us, oh, the, the children have to get their jabs, and she just assumed it was whatever normal routine vaccines kids would have been getting in Ireland at the time, so never really thought anything of it until this all came out and she was just horrified. That's another burden of guilt, isn't it, on your on your poor birth mom? It definitely was. Um, she saw a lot of things that, you know, were less than pleasant there, but that one, I think, really took the cake for her. The facts of the vaccine trials were confirmed in a 2021 report by a government commission. But while the government is finalising compensation for survivors of the mother and baby home system, The vaccine trial element of the scandal has been sidelined and GlaxoSmithKline, despite being asked, will not be paying out. This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, the mother and baby homes vaccine trials. What happened and why Big Pharma won't compensate the victims. Conor O'Mahony is Professor of Constitutional Law and Child Law at University College Cork and from 2019 to 2022 was the government's Special Rapporteur on Child Protection. Conor, we know that in the 50 years up to 1973, nearly uh, 1,500 children in mother and baby homes were the subject of clinical trials by pharmaceutical giant GSK. What were the trials? There were a range of different trials, including vaccines for illnesses, including things like uh, tetanus, diphtheria, polio, uh, rubella, and, and so on. Uh, and there were also infant milk trials, I guess, in the, in the days when an infant milk formula was, was being developed. So some of that was, was, was trialed on, on children in mother and baby homes as well. A number of these trials would have included uh, quite a significant number of invasive medical procedures. Uh, so you're talking about things like uh, injections of vaccine medication. You're talking about uh, repeated blood samples being taken from children uh, or things like temperatures being taken uh, using rectal thermometers. And uh, sometimes this would have occurred not just once or twice, but perhaps every day for a period of days or even weeks. Uh, so by any standards, uh, these were quite invasive procedures. You talk about children, but in fact, a lot of these children were in fact very small babies. 
Yes. So the the children who would have been involved in these trials would have been from as young as three months of age and then a range of ages older than that, depending on on the particular trial and and the process that was involved. But yes, I mean, you were in some instances talking about about small babies uh, up to infants and toddlers. Now, we know that the babies were used, I mean, I suppose effectively for medical experimentation. Um, Do we know were there adverse effects? Well, we know that at the time, certainly some of these babies would have and, and children would have become quite sick. So there, there were documented cases of, of babies and children who would have experienced uh, fever, uh, serious nausea, uh, prolonged diarrhea and things of that nature. So certainly it's quite clear that some of them became quite sick at the time. Uh, now, in the longer run, uh, it's a little bit more difficult to speak about adverse consequences because it's, it's a more complicated assessment around people who experience medical difficulties later in life, whether there's a causal link between that and, and what may have happened as a child. But certainly some of them became very sick at the time. Now, one of the key issues here, of course, is consent. And an argument has been made that the homes were in loco parentis, effectively, that if the home, or I suppose the Reverend Mother, probably, gave consent for the trials, that that was good enough. What's your view on that? Legally, that view holds no water. I mean, from the point of view of medical consent, the the only status which uh, would give somebody the the right to consent to medical treatment uh, would be that you are either, either the child's parent or the child's guardian. And there was no question of uh, anybody in, in a mother and baby home or any other institution having guardianship status vis-a-vis the child. Uh, so from that perspective, uh, I think the law is quite clear that where you have invasive medical treatments, uh, that would amount to an assault in the absence of uh, consent to the treatment. The child themselves isn't in a position to consent. Um, so therefore, you would need consent of the child's parent. And by its nature, you, you are dealing there with children who would have been in mother and baby homes, by and large, born outside of marriage. So the only guardian they would have had would have been the, ch- the child's mother in the vast majority of cases. Is it then, in your opinion, and goodness knows we have a history of this in this state, that's it's an example of the state treating its children differently. That if these babies hadn't been in mother and baby homes, that the matter would have been dealt with differently. Well, certainly there seemed to be a a view within the medical community at the time, uh, unquestionably, that in circumstances where ordinarily parental consent would have been required to any of these procedures, the medical community seemed to be of the view that it wasn't necessary to obtain such consent in respect of children in, in mother and baby homes. And I think it's important to make the point as well that this wasn't done in secret. Uh, this was something which was documented at the time. People who, who conducted these, these trials published the results of the trials in medical journals at the time. So it was happening to an extent in, in plain view. And there, there seemed to be certainly a view among uh, members of the medical establishment that there was no, no issue with respect to the fact that, that parental consent had not been obtained in, in many of these trials. Vis-a-vis the state then, uh, I mean, there's an argument to say that because these trials were were happening, uh, as I say, more or less in plain view with published results that the state either was aware of this or ought to have been aware of this, the state failed then to to do anything to put a stop to this for many years. Uh, So certainly to that extent, you could say that the state was treating these children differently to other children at the time. Um, And then in respect of of the reaction to it thereafter, you know, we see now more recently the Mother and Baby Homes Commission report in 2021 uh, was, you know, perhaps one of the first times we saw uh, a more sustained public gaze focused on this issue. And yet for all of that, uh, the the issue of vaccine trials doesn't feature as one of the the grounds of harm that is, is covered by the redress scheme that the government has established. 
I think it's one of these issues where you have perhaps uh, different views around where responsibility lies. It may be the view at government level that responsibility for these trials lies solely with the pharmaceutical companies and therefore uh, any issue around redress is, is an issue for them and not for the state. My view, uh, as articulated in, in, in my report in 2021, was that the state does also have a role to play here, given that the state either, either was or ought to have been aware of these trials and failed to put a stop to them. There is a, a good argument in human rights law that the state uh, bears partial responsibility uh, for any rights violations that may have occurred. But the upshot is right now that, that it's, it's not featuring in the redress scheme. It isn't mentioned as, as, as a basis or grounds for redress in any way, and, and it doesn't seem likely that that's going to change. Coming up, will survivors of vaccine trials ever get compensation? I talked to my colleague Arthur Beasley to find out. Arthur, there are many strands in the investigation into the mother and baby home system. But one that seems to me to get little attention is the medical trials. The fact that some babies in the homes were subject to vaccine trials and milk formula experimentation by companies now in the GlaxoSmithKline group. There has long been a suggestion that the global pharmaceutical company would pay reparation to the now adults affected. How, how is that going? Well, it's not going. That's the, that's the net point. Uh, all of this arises from the report of the Commission of Investigation, which came out in January of 2021. We know from Freedom of Information Records, newly released by the Department of Roderick O'Gorman, he's the Minister for Children, that the company wrote to the minister uh, in or around March of 2021, saying uh, they would make information available to people who sought it, who were involved in these tests, but they weren't going to discuss reparation, financial reparation, that is. And what happened then was that the minister sought a meeting with the company, and that meeting took place at the end of April in 2021, Going into that meeting, the minister was urged to make the case to the company that there was a it had a moral and corporate ob- obligation to accept responsibility. But we know now from these files, newly newly released, that the company was was rather quick to come back and came back within a matter of weeks, saying there was going to be no change of mind on the question of reparations. Now, but what I don't understand is that why, if GSK as it's reformulated as GlaxoSmithKline. If they have questions to answers in this, it appears from your investigation that the company is setting the agenda with the government, that it's Big Pharma versus the government, and that, from what you've discovered, Big Pharma effectively seems to be winning. Well, what happened was that it, it emerged... Soon after the report came out, the minister said he was writing to church congregations. He was going to write to GlaxoSmithKline. It emerged uh, on a particular Sunday that the company had written to the minister. The company made public its own letter saying there would be no reparations uh, paid by the company. And the minister then sought a meeting. The minister was going to meet the company. And we know from the Freedom of Information records that the company sent an agenda to the minister's office in advance of this meeting. So per the company's agenda, the word reparations wasn't even mentioned, but that was the top priority for the minister going into the meeting. The minister's advice was that he was going to raise this. It clearly did come up in the meeting because the company, in its response several weeks later, said, yes, we take on board the fact that you called on us for a rethink, but there is no rethink. Is Big Pharma winning here? Well, Big Pharma is 
certainly not willing to pay. And it appears that this aspect of the government's dialogue with those named in the Commission of Investigation, this aspect is shut. This, this discussion seems to be shut. These records were released because they are not subject to what is known as a deliberative process. The government can refuse access under freedom of information when a discussion is underway with a third party, when, there, when it is under deliberation on the part of the government. There's no deliberative process anymore in terms of the government's engagement with GlaxoSmithKline. By contrast, the government refused access to all of the files that relate to the minister's engagement with the church congregations who were involved in the running of the homes. So to that extent, GlaxoSmithKline has won. GlaxoSmithKline is not paying reparation and the state will be on the hook for the large part of the reparation bill. Arthur, that's reparations. But there's also the issue of information and whether people who are alive today, who are subject to these trials and medical experiments when they were babies, know what happened to them. So if a person is wondering whether they may have been an unwilling participant in this, you know, how will they know? Will GlaxoSmithKline tell them? If you are that person, you have to approach the company yourself. It's clear from the records that the company ruled out any question of going proactively to people who were involved in these tests. The company said it had significant ethical concerns around that. But that, it seems to me, must be measured against the fact that we know from the report of the commission that parental consent wasn't given. There was no consent from the part of guardians. That was an ethical question. And you also have the company whose predecessors provided the product for use in these trials, whose predecessors stood to gain commercially, essentially washing its hands of any sense of corporate responsibility and saying that personal responsibility for the way these trials were carried out was with the Irish researchers, all of them now deceased, who actually carried out the tests. It's like saying, yes, our products were used, but there's no responsibility. And yet, whatever the findings were from the trials and whatever products eventually made their way onto the market, the companies clearly were going to gain from those trials. So it seems to me that where the company is saying, that's not our responsibility, there's an et- that is an ethical position it is taking up. But then on the question of pr- the provision in a proactive sense of this information to everyone who took part in the trials, they're saying, no, no, we have ethical concerns about that. That's an ethical question. You could say, from the company's point of view, that they're saying, look, we're not going to contact Johnny Murphy, born in the 5th of May, 1960, because perhaps Johnny Murphy doesn't know that he was adopted, doesn't know that he was that he was born in a mother and baby home, doesn't know any of that. So we're not going to contact him to tell him that. That position has to be measured against the fact that the rights of people who are involved in these trials were simply ignored, it seems to me, right at the outset. There was no consideration. These were very, very young children. No consideration was given to the fact that their their parents or their guardians should have given their consent. That, too, raises ethical questions, it seems to me. 
so now we have two groups. We have uh, children who were experimented on who now know they were and they can get in touch with, with GlaxoSmithKline and they can get information. And we have another group of children who were, bo- babies who were born in, in mother and baby homes, now adults, who don't know. So they presumably are now permanently going to be left in the dark. Unless they go to the company and say, I was in this particular home at that particular time and I would like you to see whether I was a participant in these trials. So does the government look very weak in this then? Well, I mean, the fact of the matter is that the report came out more than two years ago. Promises were made there was going to be a redress scheme. Uh, Political commitments were made that the company would be pursued for a financial contribution. Political commitments were made that the church congregations involved in the running of the homes would be pursued for financial contributions to redress. And uh, there's, there's no agreement with any of the church congregations. And the discussion with GlaxoSmithKline is finished. That's over and the company won't be making a contribution. In a sense, the numbers, if you say that between... 1934 and 1973, 1,148 children were sent from homes for clinical trials. Obviously, that's a large number, but in the context of a global multi-billion pharma company, surely it's a small number in terms of reparations. So why don't GlaxoSmithKline, in your view, say, those less than one and a half thousand uh, adults, why don't we we compensate them? It's it's not that many people. It seems to me, Bernice, that this is less about the money and more about the principles, the legal principles, perhaps. It is open to, to the interpretation that the company doesn't want to set a precedent here in the case of these particular trials under scrutiny for any other cases in which, in any other jurisdiction, in which it might come under scrutiny. It's certainly open to that interpretation. Conor O'Mahony, we've been hearing from Arthur there about GlaxoSmithKline's position. And it's that, that when it comes to reparations, basically it's not paying, regardless of the major role the company played. What's your take on that? Like, is that response to be expected from a pharmaceutical company? The position with the pharmaceutical companies uh, in terms of their own uh, perception of any liability they may have really is, is, is informed by the statute of limitations. Um, so the statute of limitations places a limit on, on how long somebody has before they bring a claim against somebody for, for anything which uh, may have involved uh, you know, an assault or negligence or any, any other cause of action in tort law. And the statute of limitations really is, it makes it very difficult for people to recover damages for historical wrongs of this nature. Uh, So from the pharmaceutical company's perspective, uh, their legal advice presumably is that they have no case to answer, that the statute of limitations has expired on these cases, and therefore there is no liability. And legally, that may, may very well be the case. Um, So really, it's more a question of what moral obligation they may feel to provide uh, a a compensation in these cases rather than than any legal obligation. The law really is is not uh, very well suited to to compelling them to, to step forward in these cases. The question of, of establishing a precedent is, is I'm sure, uh, looming large in the minds of the pharmaceutical companies. 
uh, it seems relatively unlikely that Ireland uh, is an outlier in, in the fact that medical trials and vaccine trials were conducted in residential institutions on children without proper consent. It, it's very likely that that has also happened in other parts of the world. And so from that perspective, the potential scope of liability would be enormous. And therefore, uh, it's not perhaps entirely surprising that pharmaceutical companies would take a very strict and narrow view of the law and simply say that if there's no legal basis for compelling us to step forward and provide payments, then then we're, we're simply not going to do it uh, for fear of, of the floodgates opening on a, on a more global basis. I was not surprised when GlaxoSmith came back and denied any culpability and sort of foisted it off on the medical researchers. Um, but at the end of the day, it was their company, their legacy company that they inherited. Um, so they are responsible. I guess at the end of the day, we'll we'll see you in court. <laughs> do you, is that what's going to happen in your case? Do you feel I'm to the point now where you know unless. O'Gorman includes this somehow under the redress. And at this stage, I don't even care if it's GSK or the nuns. The state still has a burden of responsibility. You allow children who were wards of the state to participate in non-consensual trials. You admitted it in your own report. Um, We can portion out blame to whomever and try to go begging with cap in hand to all these various entities. But at the end of the day, it's, it's the state's responsibility and they have an obligation Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, there are venues to do that. Um, I'm fortunate, I guess, in one regard that two of the potential litigants, the Sacred Heart Order and GlaxoSmith, are both based in the UK or headquartered in the UK. So that would be my focus is probably taking a case there. It's really clear that, you know, this has taken up so much of your, your life in terms of headspace, in terms of trying to find answers. Yeah, absolutely. And to this day, I mean, I still don't know what effects, you know, I I maybe should or my parents should have been looking for. Was there, well, we know there was no follow-up done, you know, for those of us that were sent to the States. Um, It just, it beggars belief. I mean, it just sounds like the worst science experiment ever. And I'm not opposed to research. I understand that, you know, sometimes you do have to trial these things, but you do it with fully informed consent. That's all for today. For full access to journalism from the Irish Times, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. This episode was presented by me, Bernice Harrison, and produced by Declan Conlon and Suzanne Brennan. In the news, we'll be back on Friday.